Welcome to another Value Packs episode of the Customers of Click podcast. Today's guest is James Shad, the co-founder of WeGo Startups, a boutique agency which specializes in working with fast-growing brands. Today we're talking about Facebook and Instagram advertising, and we'll be touching a little bit on PPC as well because it's it's quite related and relevant. I've been involved with uh, Facebook ads myself for various companies, and it's always worked pretty well. Targeting is fantastic. The different ad sets and uh, and the creative you can use is is really great. And retargeting is, of course, uh, pretty much impossible to ignore as a marketer these days. And kind of unfortunately, it's sometimes impossible to ignore as a customer as well. Um, but anyway, I'll I'll let James dive into the detail of Facebook advertising, the big mistakes people make, and of course, some of the misconceptions out there. Hey, James, how's it going? Very well. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, um, what do you do? Why do you do it? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm co-founder of a business called We Grow Startups. Um, we're the marketing agency for fast-growing biz- brands, um, and we help businesses win and keep new customers as quickly and cost-efficiently as possible. Um, used to work uh, for kind of big media agencies. That was my thing. So uh, working with kind of big blue-chip clients like B&Q and Weetabix and Diageo, which was a lot of fun um, for, for a long while, um, you know, working with big budgets and, you know, kind of big, big lofty goals. Um, but it grew harder to prove that you were really making a difference. Um, and you could throw all kind of sophisticated measurement and econometric models at it. Um, but often, you know, for example, Weetabix, um, you know, if you stopped advertising, they were still going to sell quite a lot of um, boxes of Weetabix anyway. Um, and my head got turned by by the startup world, and you know, it, really exciting to me. And decided that startups and fast-growing brands were a much um, more interesting prospect. Especially, uh, you know, I remember so being Q, I used to work on, uh, and we had a model that proved that um, actually advertising didn't really have much more of an effect than the weather. So actually, building a weather machine was probably better than running ads. At that point, thought, yeah. Probably time to to do something different. Yeah, I mean, I suppose with certain businesses like B and Q, you know, if you if the weather's nice and you think, right, I'm going to do some some stuff in the garden or whatever, you your head instantly goes to like two or three brands probably, and that's probably like B and Q, home base, and a, a garden centre that's nearby. So uh, you know, and, and whichever one's closest, or, or maybe a preference you're going to go to. Um, so yeah, I, I can see how the weather <laughs> simply just, you know make makes such a huge impact on it. Um, yeah. So what's uh, what's the standard day look like for you at WeGrow Startups? Um, so always start the day with um, checking in on our clients' business. So you know going through all the kind of Google Analytics and the, the Facebook reporting just to see how things are going and and are we growing their businesses. Um, also check on our own business and you know make sure that you know our invoice is getting paid and all of those things uh, and leads are coming in so basically yeah our own and our own our own and our clients business then we have a, a daily team stand-up um, we've recently uh, switched to um, monday.com in lockdown um, so yeah a bit of a random plug for monday.com and so far it's been quite good uh, did resist for ages their software because they were spamming me on YouTube. And I thought, you know, this does look good, um, but 
I think you need to um, look at your kind of advertising frequency. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's, lose me as a potential customer. I, I've seen Monday.com for probably a couple of years now, I think, um, mainly on Instagram. Um, ads, yeah, um, ads just follow me there. Yeah, but fi- finally cracked. Uh, and um, so we have our daily check-in and, and use Monday.com for yeah, all the tasks of the team. Um, and then the day is, is either spent um, meetings with existing clients, but then a lot of what I do increasingly is kind of new business. Um, and my business partner and I have kind of separated out that, that she is more focused on our current clients and, and I'm more focused on kind of finding new clients and growing the business. But yes. And then also like, yeah, random special projects uh, probably come up. Uh, like recently we've been working on improving our the automation of our reporting, um, which is an important part to kind of um, improve our efficiency internally and make us kind of more trying to solve problems and less working through spreadsheets. Yeah, okay, sounds good. Um, so obviously we're, we're here to talk a bit about Facebook and Instagram advertising. Um, yes. I'm, I'm going to leave this as quite, a, quite an open question, but do you, do you want to tell us a, a bit about that? Yeah, so Facebook and Instagram advertising is, uh, forms of a lot of what we do. It's not everything we do at We Grow Startups. Um, but it, um, it used to be that I was very much kind of a Google first in trying, trying to solve client problems. Uh, so I always thought about um, search is intent-based, uh, therefore it's a, a great place to start. Um, however, kind of noticed that um, particularly for more premium brands, uh, Google's inability uh, to target by affluence, certainly in the UK, uh, means that you don't necessarily always get the right traffic. Um, so somebody searching for a particular product, you don't know what the affordability um, of that audience is. Um, so therefore, Facebook and Instagram have much more powerful targeting capabilities and um, became, I think, much more uh, useful and better performing for quite a lot of our clients, and therefore we've kind of um, worked with them, worked with that kind of uh, platform uh, in more detail. Um, and I think it works uh, particularly well for for premium e-commerce brands, uh, particularly those with with kind of strong lifetime values, either through high uh, average order value or high repeat rates. So businesses that really benefit from having a um, a visual ad, either a video or an image, to really bring their product to life. Um, and they're the clients that it works particularly well with from our point of view. Yeah, I guess when when you're the one, you're putting the, the advertisement in front of someone, kind of uh, interrupting, uh, you know, interrupting their, their feed, you know, it's, it's got to stand out, hasn't it? Um, Exactly. So yeah, good, um, good, good uh, imagery, gifs, video probably works really, really well. And, and I guess it, it's it's less intent based because you are interrupting somebody's feed. Um, but I'd say that particularly Instagram has become uh, almost a replacement for kind of traditional magazine advertising. So your uh, Instagram feed tends to be a kind of curated list of of your interests and your hobbies, um, and therefore. Um, the powerful algorithm allows you to target um, based on people's interests and therefore you serve um, 
related ads to people's interests. Therefore, it's just like kind of magazine advertising evolved that actually when you're reading through a magazine, it was almost that the advert the adverts were almost as interesting um, as the um, the content itself. And I think Instagram has managed to replicate that experience. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I like the uh, that analogy actually about a magazine. Um, except yeah. except I, it's I, kind of almost personalised, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Um, although I get um, targeted quite a lot by um, agencies for agencies, um, which is a, a kind of a new niche out there. Um, but it is incredibly well targeted uh, in that they know that I, yeah, uh, I run an agency, so I'm uh, applicable to be targeted. Are there any common myths or misconceptions about Facebook and Instagram advertising? Uh, you know, do you, do you get many objections to it from e- either clients or potential, you know, leads who who you you kind of pitch it to? Yeah, there is a belief that it is quite a saturated market. Um, that you know that either the CPMs are too high or that it's difficult to get cut through. Um, and I think that's um, certainly in the US, the CPMs can be very very high. Um, but if you are uh, an e-commerce brand that can deliver globally, that there's lots of um, developing or markets which you can achieve much lower CPMs um, and still get the sale. Um, so I think saying it's a saturated market, perhaps true in some sectors and, and some uh, territories, um, but but not the case if if you have the ability to be global. Um, and also if you're you know. If your product is strong enough, then you're always going to cut through. But on the other hand, I'd say it's also neither, it's not a guaranteed success. Um, So I think that's another misconception. On the other side of the coin is that people often come to us and say, right, we we just need to do some ads. Um, And ads might not be the solution to their problem. Um, That actually, you know, that looking internally at their business, at their site, I mean, you're a conversion rate optimization specialist, Will. So often that is the step that has to be taken before you start throwing money at advertising. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there's, there's definitely an attitude of, you know, let's get, get um, Facebook advertising set up, get AdWords set up, um, and our business will grow. Um, and then, yeah, I think people just take it for granted that, yeah, pretty much they've just got to get, you know, the right campaigns in place and that's it. When you're right, yeah, um, quite you know, lots of businesses actually have problems on the with the actual website or the app. Um, we, we were just talking, just talking before the podcast about my experience with Epic and, and Rockstar, but I won't I won't start that rant again. Yeah, I suppose it's uh, you know it's it's got to be thought through. You can't just you can't just throw money at the problem, basically. And I think a lot of people once they've got their app or the website in place, they assume there is no problem because that problem was solved by having a website. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I like to say that, yeah, startups are like leaky buckets um, and that you should avoid pouring too much water in until you have blocked up those leaks. Yeah, absolutely. Just sticking with, the, with I guess, with the topic of myths maybe um, or misconceptions, does, be, does it work, you know, does Facebook and even Instagram advertising work for b2b as well if we look at different types of b2b because obviously you've got the the SaaS tools like like monday.com um but what about 
maybe enterprise level stuff or, or even agencies and services? Yeah, um, I would say it does definitely has the potential to work. Uh, I think you need a really strong call to action and a, and a clear action point uh, once, the, once the ad has been clicked on. So, you know, is it B2B? Is it download a white paper? Is it sign up for a free trial? Um, yeah, is it um, sign up for, a, for kind of a, an email newsletter course, something like that? Um, but I think, yeah, I think it definitely has potential. I th- certainly think the targeting capabilities are, are getting there. I mean, they're not quite as strong as, say, LinkedIn. Uh, which has kind of excellent uh, B2B targeting capabilities. Um, but Facebook benefits from probably being about five times cheaper than LinkedIn from a cost per thousand point of view. Um, and also Facebook has, uh, and Instagram have nailed um, the clickable ad. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, almost a kind of a, an expected experience now in Facebook and Instagram that, you know, that be prepared to click on an ad in a way that you never would click on a display banner or perhaps an ad in another platform. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really know anyone who's actually making LinkedIn work very well. We, I've tried it at a previous company as well. And yeah, the, the costs the cost were just really high. Um, we didn't, didn't get much back through it. So I, I was going to say, I think B2B needs to have a kind of a strong and clear funnel, you know, and, and an understanding of what a lead is worth to you and what you're prepared to spend. And I think you may end up having to invest kind of larger budgets than perhaps a consumer product to make it work. Um, but I still think it has potential. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think probably a lot of, um, a lot of B2B offerings are going to be fairly high ticket value. Um, even if it's, you know, a, a small monthly spend, but for 18 months or whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. so, you know, your, your CPAs can be higher. Um, so, what are the first things you do when you get started with a new client? So back to that point of the leaky bucket, uh, always start with an audit. Um, so looking at not only what they might have done previously uh, on Facebook and Instagram or other channels, um, but also looking at their site, looking at what creative assets they have, looking at things like their email, email automation, um, looking at their CRM and kind of follow up and welcome journey to, to new customers. Um, so all of these things, also looking at their analytics and tracking. Is that set up? Is that set up properly? Is it recording what it should do? Um, you know, really stress test them as a business and, a, um, and their online capabilities because there's yeah, no point in sending traffic to something that's it's not going to work and is not set up for success. Then we work on kind of defining, you know, what are the, the, the messaging and the the USPs of the business are, what are we talking about? What are the best products to feature? What has the best margin? What products have the most differentiation? Um, what products are the most popular? Things like that. Um, and then we tend to, because a lot of our businesses are kind of early stage startups or uh, brands with kind of less money to invest in creative, we, we talk about kind of minimum viable creative. So what, what can we use with your existing assets? Um, you know, we, we have the skills to kind of edit video and um, kind of upgrade what creative you might already have. But we, we tend to start with what people have got. Um, we research audience. Uh, we look at whether we can create lookalikes based on existing customers or, or some other 
database list that the client might have. Um, and then we set a budget uh, and also understand what the realistic targets are. So, you know, what, what is the lifetime value of a customer? How much are we prepared to pay to, to, to win a new one? Um, so that tends to be the process. Um, so lots to do before we go live. You know, it, um, perhaps in the, the very start, um, when I started running the business, we were guilty of, of saying yes to a client and, and moving a bit too quickly. But now we like to take our time um, a little bit, still moving fast. Um, but making sure that we've got all our ducks in a row before we go live um, and that we have the best chance of success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you do you find, do you get questions at all about wanting to look into things like like CRM as well? You know, do, do you ever get people saying, well, you're the Facebook agency, why why do you need that? Uh, no, no, because I think we position ourselves as a, as a marketing business in the, the whole. Uh, it, it tends to be that, uh, the majority of our work we do on Facebook and Instagram because it is such a powerful tool. Um, but uh, no, and we we have we develop kind of trusted relationships with our clients, um, and yeah, they trust our skills, and it's either our skills or we get uh, partners in to help. It's things that we can't do, um, but yes, it, it it rarely faces an objection. Um, but yeah, because we're there ultimately to help help them grow and. If we spot that CRM is is the barrier that holding back that growth, then they're happy to kind of let us help with that. Yeah, that's good. That's kind of ideal, uh, ideal for any agency really. If you know you, you've got your core piece of work, but, but the client is happy to take into account you know other other suggestions in, in other places. Um, yeah, budget wise, um, do you have any particular method for for working out what a C, what a target CPA should be? You know, is it is it like a, a ratio based off LTV, or does the client simply say, "I am happy to spend this amount of money"? Yeah. So there is um, it's a formula. I don't know where I came across it, but it, it's always kind of stood me well. But um, the CPA to LTV should be between three to five. So your um, CPA is three to five times less than your LTV. Um, and I think that's generally accepted uh, in the startup community as a an acceptable um, and profitable way of growing uh, with that kind of ratio. Um, however, some businesses don't know what their LTV is or, or what it's likely to be. So you, you often have to kind of make some uh, some judgments or accept that your first purchase might not be profitable. Um, and there is yeah some clients that we know that will have a strong repeat rate, um, but we accept that that first purchase that we may just break even in terms of CPA versus the price of the first purchase. Um, but we know that they'll come back a second and third time, and we won't have to pay for them. Yeah, I do. I do think that's it's something a lot of people do need to think about and consider. You know, the fact that you you aren't just paying for this single purchase. Ideally, you're paying for this first purchase, which, and then you're going to, you know, start building a relationship with that customer, and they're going to come back again and again and again, and hopefully you don't have to pay anything for those repeat visits. Um, exactly. But but I do think a lot of people focus on on making sure that that first purchase or sign up is as profitable as possible, um, which a lot of the time 
in my experiences, you know, what I've seen is uh, you you end up going down the cheaper traffic routes. Um, you get misled by certain certain metrics, like using CPIs um, instead of CPAs. Um, yes. And then, you know, when people aren't focusing on that lifetime value, they don't realize that all those super cheap um, people you bought um, through, a, you know, a CPI campaign or whatever haven't actually uh, gone anywhere after that first step. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if if someone wanted to start running ads for the first time, um, what are a few things you'd suggest to them to, to make sure they get in place straight away? Um, so number one on the list is get your analytics and tracking sorted out. So get a Facebook pixel. Um, so implement that on your page or your app. Um, so it has the ability to measure what traffic is doing once it has arrived there. Um, and then I think once you have that in place, defining a valuable action. So in our business, we talk about valuable actions. So these are things which, um, indicate a customer is a good prospect uh, but but isn't necessarily the full purchase so often with the budgets that we're dealing with especially in kind of testing phase um, we don't have enough money to kind of um, statistically prove that um, we're driving purchases but we can take a step back um, and look at um, a valuable action like a, a lead or an add to basket or um, somebody has signed up in app um, and uh, target towards that action. Um, so something that's happen- happening frequently enough that you've got good data um, but is also a really good sign of intent. Um, so more than an install, um, but perhaps less than an in-app purchase, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Kind of getting that uh the micro conversion i guess um but just enough steps into the process and towards the final goal that you're you'd be pretty confident um, exactly because because you can fall in both um ways so some people just kind of optimize towards traffic and that's often you get kind of junk traffic or junk installs you know these these aren't valuable potential customers but then the other side of the equation is actually if you try and to optimize towards purchases, uh, especially if you're a high, high value item, you don't get frequent enough data to prove if anything's working. Therefore, you need something in kind of in between um, to kind of yeah. work to. Well, I think actually, yeah, thinking about it, um, when, I, when I was at Readly, uh, magazine subscription app, kind of Netflix for magazines, yeah, we, we worked out the minimum number of magazines someone needed to read to to indicate that they were highly likely to convert uh, to, yeah. to a paid subscriber. And I, I can't remember how many it was off the top of my head. It, it wasn't too many. It was only about three to five. Um, okay. But there was also a value we had to place on those because obviously if, you, if you're out and about and you're, and you're physically buying the magazines, each of those has a price tag. So we need to make sure that the magazines they read were worth more than the price of the subscription. Which right. is why when we ran those cheap CPI campaigns on a certain magazine, weekly magazine, um, we realized that actually in the, the, um, during the length of the trial, they couldn't read enough of those magazines, uh, n- you know, new, uh, new editions of those magazines 
to see the value of the subscription. Yeah. Because even though it was a weekly magazine, so they'd get, you know, at one stage we did a 30 day free trial. So they would get four of those magazines, but they're only about a pound each, I think. Right. And if the subscription is 9.99, you know, why, why would someone, uh, why would someone subscribe? So yeah, we were looking at the people who were reading, I guess what I would call proper magazines um, yeah. to hit that, you know, nine, 10 pounds in value. Um, and that would be the indication that, that we were happy they was um, either convert at the end of the trial or at some point in the future. So that's what we were yeah. happy kind of optimizing to. Yeah. So for like for an e-commerce uh, client, we tend to optimize certainly the prospecting activity. Um, so that's getting new customers to the site. We optimize towards add to cart or initiate checkout because we know that they won't necessarily buy on that first visit, but we need a definite sign of intent. So somebody adding to cart or getting to the initiate checkout stage of the, the journey is, is a good enough sign that they are a likely customer. Yeah. Well, actually I was talking to the analytics lead for pizza hut in one of, you know, one of the previous podcasts and uh, yeah, he was talking about, you know, so in terms of optimization on the site, not worrying too much about those top of funnel people who haven't actually viewed a product because, you know, you, you can optimize towards getting people to view a product, but if they're not doing that already, they're not very, they haven't got much motivation. They're not, it's not very high intent. Whereas you, if you optimize for the people who have got the products in their baskets, you know, it's much, much more likely that they are going to complete that purchase either by you doing some optimization or by bringing them back at a later stage. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, I forget the, the start of this question was, yeah, somebody doing Facebook for the first time. I had one, one other point was around uh, so targeting. Uh, and I read a good quote that um, targeting on Facebook is a bit like salt. Um, so use just enough, but not enough to spoil the dish. Um, so... Um, Facebook actually benefits from having slightly larger audiences where it's got a bit more rope to play with um, and optimize towards your goal. Um, so if you are too narrow and too focused with your audience, you can kind of um, mess with Facebook's ability to, to optimize. Um, whereas if you also, you're in danger of going too broad um, on the other um, side of the equation. Um, but yeah, targeting, yeah, just enough. Yeah, I suppose, it, yeah, it makes sense. You don't want to, you don't want to be too strict with it and tell Facebook exactly who it should be targeting um, because you might be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've probably kind of uh, touched on this already in, in, in those answers, but what are the, what are the big or most common mistakes you see in uh, Facebook and Instagram strategies? Yeah, so back to my point around yeah not enough data so people making decisions and people yeah uh, dismissing performance when just not enough data has been um gathered um yeah you need so f facebook talks about kind of like per ad set 25 to 50 conversion actions uh, per week um for it really to to perform well and optimize towards that conversion action um but also you, you you can use like kind of statistical significance calculators to you know are we really seeing a difference between um kind of our, our test a and our test b um you know i think so not enough data and, and not allowing 
to run sufficiently long to see that data as well. So making judgments too early um, and also tinkering too much. So sometimes I think, it, you know, making, obviously, like adjusting when there are fatal errors and, and seeing when things are definitely aren't working. Um, but then I think there is value to, to letting things run sometimes and, and get, getting enough data. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, not, not valuable actions. So optimizing towards something like installs or traffic, uh, which is you're just getting uh, the wrong people to cite, um, people who are just willing to click and willing to install, but not willing to do anything when they get there. Yeah, I think it comes back to that um, that earlier point around, you know, once someone's got that app in place, they assume that's job done on that side. So if they, as long as they're getting installs, that should solve the problem. And yeah, they're not looking at that, you know, what is the actual goal that benefits the business? Uh, Facebook is a bit like term- the Terminator and it is relentlessly focused on one goal. And that's the one goal that you set it. And if you set it towards traffic or install, it will find people as cheaply as possible who are willing to go to your site or install your app. And they're not necessarily the right people for you. You, you can run different campaigns with them, can't you? You can do more kind of brand campaigns um, potentially to get those clicks and then retarget them with more direct campaigns, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I always like to, 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 yeah, it depends on your budgets. Uh, I think, yeah, the, the lower the lower the budgets, the more you want every pound to work doing something positive for your brand, um, and that's people taking an action. Um, I think as you grow, that you can afford to spend a little bit more towards the top of the funnel, um, and getting people aware of your brand and um, increasing brand awareness and consideration. Um, but at the start, you know, I like to say people don't um, have a brand if they don't have a business. <laughs> Um, so you need to get the sales in, um, before you build the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you, th- uh, do you think or, or know of any big trends are coming up for, for the next sort of 12 months? Well, one of them is, is quite immediate. And I think we touched on this just before the podcast that, um, so C- CPMs at the moment, um, so cost per thousand. So the, the cost of advertising on Facebook and Instagram, um, is far less uh, than it has been because of coronavirus. So coronavirus has seen, I think, a lot of advertisers, especially big advertisers, uh, withdraw their spends. Um, and Facebook and Instagram, is, the ad platform is essentially a, a kind of an auction marketplace. So if there's um, less demand, then costs go down. So, and at the moment, costs are massively deflated um, because of there are fewer advertisers in the market. And also, I think there's higher supply. So there's more people spending more time uh, on social media. Um, therefore, it's kind of a perfect time to advertise if, if your business can still do business. Um, I think it's a great time to take advantage of those lower CPMs. And I don't know how long it will continue for, but um, yes, it's, it's a good, good time to advertise if you can. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think, um, are you expecting to see those CPMs kind of jump back up to where they were, or do you think it will take, you know, maybe nine to 12 months to actually uh, get back to the levels they were at? Uh, I think they talk um, about uh, different, uh, different kind of ways the economy may bounce back. 
like different letters and a W and a, a U or a J. Um, and I, I'm not sure what letter it is, but I think it will be a slow road back. I don't think there's going to be an immediate jump back in to, you know, the, all the big advertisers will suddenly turn on their sp- spends again. Um, I think it will be a much like the economy. It will be a gradual incremental thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, another potential trend uh, is potentially ads in WhatsApp. So obviously Facebook and Instagram uh, own WhatsApp as well as a platform. Uh, and recently, the, the I think the founders of WhatsApp who sold to Facebook um, left the company. So I think they've been left to run WhatsApp as a separate entity and left allegedly because of Facebook's intention to um, add advertising to the platform. Um, so ads on WhatsApp could be uh, coming at some stage, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, I think as soon as Facebook bought it, uh, you know, the, the clock started ticking. Um, you know, ev- everyone's been expecting it for years. Uh, I, yeah. I'm slightly surprised it's taken this long. Yes. Um, and I know, you know, there have been some privacy issues and Facebook claim that uh, WhatsApp doesn't share data, I think. Yes. Um, I think it lost a court case on that. But I don't, don't. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the number of people who say, you know, I had a chat with my friend on WhatsApp, um, you know, a, a call or messages and suddenly advertisements appeared. You know, and, and yeah. it's, you know, obviously... It could just be interest-based. You know, if you're thinking about that, it's you've probably shown behavior elsewhere that Facebook can use for targeting, um, which is also kind of potentially where Facebook could go with it. So instead of putting ads in, they could actually just use it as that uh, a source of data. Um, yeah. I suppose, which yeah. which is worse for the consumer, uh, having, yeah. basically having all your messages and calls uh, read in order to then give you a better advertising experience or to actually have the ads in WhatsApp. You know, imagine having to watch a 15-second video ad before you can make a phone call. I'm not sure that'd go down too well. Or share a funny video in a WhatsApp group. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's always uh, talk about, um, you know, is Facebook listening to me? You know, is it using what I'm saying um, to target advertising. And I think there is a, a degree to which it's psychological. As you said, people are in market, they're interested in something. They've, they've probably been searching for it. They've been doing other things which indicate interest um, or somebody in their friendship group has. So I think that's how Facebook does a lot of its targeting is kind of through networks and finding people like um, the people who show interest. Um, so I think that's how yeah, Facebook can sometimes appear to be targeting people based on conversations. Um, but I did read an article once that said actually the processing power required to constantly monitor people's conversations and mine that for data was just infinitesimally impossible to, to track. Um, and that, yeah, it's highly unlikely that it's happening. Um, but you never know. Yeah. And any other trends you see? Um, I know chatbots have been, you know, uh, talked about for for a while now, and I think they became a massive. Well, didn't become a massive thing. They became really, really popular with marketers. I think uh, what, a year ago, two years ago, 
And I feel yes. like that interest has died down a bit. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm surprised how many Facebook groups I've been in that have been dedicated to chatbots, you know, um, like many chat or, or just groups on support groups on how to build them and stuff. And actually, I can't remember the last time I saw uh, a decent chatbot um, or actually engaged with one. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, it, it's been a kind of a, a big, big trend coming up, but whether it, it failed to prove its value, um, whether, you know, it was genuinely kind of helping, so for example, like um, dealing with sales objections, it's, it's about thinking about why, why would you use it and what's, what's it doing that um, a landing page or something else could do is it adding more friction or is it removing barriers and, and i guess it, it it hasn't been clear enough um that it has completely removed barriers um without adding friction um otherwise i think we'd be seeing more of it yeah i mean i think uh, yeah i've seen the odd one used well i think i think there was a, a startup that did something to do with mortgages um, I can't remember if it was like a remortgage site or something. I'm pretty sure they used the chatbot on their on their homepage. Basically, as a lead gentle, you know, you'd, you'd answer all the questions as they came through, and then it would say, "Right to get your quotes, um, give us your email address." Um, but I think that you know they did it really well. Yeah, I think there's a danger of doing it for the sake of doing it, uh, where versus where there's a clear benefit, and and it is yeah, adding value. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing, uh, either as a marketer or a consumer? Probably as a marketer. Um, so uh, relates to Google rather than Facebook and, and Instagram. But um, so people who running Google brand ads. So for example, you know when you search for a brand and, and the ad appears um, for that particular brand at the, kind of the top of the search listings, people click on that ad and then go on to buy something. Um, Kind of market other marketers who try and claim that that's genuinely incremental to the business. People are searching for the brand for a reason because they've found about it in some other way, and that's often through Facebook and Instagram advertising. So yeah, claiming that search is working because branded search is working, um, yeah, is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, and then also retargeting. Um, so people who visited the site, um, obviously, they're highly likely, or they're much more likely than. Um, a random person to come back and buy again. Uh, and retargeting is a great way of getting them to come back. Um, but trying to claim that that you know every sale that retargeting drove back to the site was genuinely incremental and kind of an yeah every pound you get back is um, yeah, a, a genuine increment to the business is is I think a bit mis- bit misleading. Um, and that a business really needs to be out there and prospecting and finding new people and not just relying on retargeting people who've already come to their site. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, retargeting doesn't, it doesn't grow your business, does it? It doesn't grow the levels of traffic um, coming to business. It's just bringing people back. Um, Just touching on branded search uh, quickly, do you think it has its place? Like, is it, you know, is it a good strategy brands should take? You know, should, should, almost every brand be bidding on their own brand terms or, uh, or yeah. we tend to use it as a with our clients as a defensive um, mechanism 
So it's basically to dis dissuade um, competitors from bidding on the, the brand. Um, as soon as you you know are paying to appear on your own brand, uh, you make the auction um, pretty unsustainable for competitors. Um, you know their quality scores will be much lower than you. Um, their cost per click will be much higher. It won't make any kind of economic sense for them to bid on your brand. So used in a defensive capacity. Um, yeah, very sensible. Uh, also, if you have an ambiguous brand name, um, which some people do, <laughs> some people not don't necessarily appear at the top of the organic rankings for their own brand, um, or there are variants of your brand name, or yeah, where organic might uh, suffer. Um, but it tends to be yeah defensive um, rather than kind of uh, aggressive. Yeah, well, I worked for for Ubico, which I doubt anyone listening to this podcast would be able to spell correctly first time. Um, yeah. So I imagine there's, you know, I guess it's not exactly brand search, but you're basically, um, you know, you're picking on those misspellings, I guess, to try and do brand search. Huawei as well. It's probably one that uh, should should definitely be buying on the variants of the how how to pronounce their brand name. Yeah. Um, so do, um, just final, final bit on brand search, just cause I'm, I'm interested. You, you mentioned uh, quality score will be lower and, and cost will be higher. Is that something that kind of Google basically punishes people for? So if you're saying, well, you're, you're bidding on this brand's name, that it's, it's their name. We're going to give them priority and you're being exactly. punished. Yeah. 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 So it, I think it, um, uses lots of different, um, things to take into account but one of the main things it looks to is click-through rate so if you're searching for adidas and an adidas appears in the um as a paid ad you know 30 40 percent of people will click on that ad uh, rather than the organic listing if nike were to appear underneath adidas um a far fewer percentage of people will click on that ad um, and they will have a lower quality score, and therefore, in the um, auction, they will have to bid higher um, to get a click through. Um, so, yeah, Google essentially does punish you for for being irrelevant, and that relevancy is usually judged by click through rate. Oh, okay, but you, but so you, in theory, you can still be cheaper than the brand if you if you have the better advert and you get the better clicks. Yeah, but. But if somebody's, you know, Google is an intent platform. If you're searching for um, a particular brand, you're pretty much likely to click on that brand. Uh, yeah, unless unless the, uh, I don't think I've seen a, yeah, an example of search copy so good that it will uh, disrupt your journey from wanting to to go to a particular brand. Yeah, I think the, the two examples I'm thinking of just just off the top of my head are um, a lot of the time with SaaS. Um, you see brands bidding on their competitors with yeah. ads that say um, better than this company yeah. or are you looking for a this company alternative Yeah. Um, which you know if you don't know the company that you've searched for very well you might be tempted to actually click those ads and take a look um, and I think the other areas or areas actually are um, probably the voucher space and and gambling yeah um gambling because 
essentially a lot of gambling sites are very very similar um yeah. similar similar games similar bonuses and everything so if you can bid on your competitor term with a better bonus um that you know that that could work very well with you for you although it's very very expensive yes yeah so you will always be more expensive i think than the, the brand themselves but if you can make it work for your cpa if your conversion rate on your site is good enough um then yeah it, it can work um but um yeah it's, it's an interesting area uh and i think yeah using other people's uh, brand names in your search ads i think is, is technically um forbidden by google and there have actually been some interesting um court cases i think interflora and mns flowers are in an ongoing court battle on branded search yeah, every every time I I look it up, uh, a different one of them has won an appeal, um, and they keep on appealing against each other. So, check it out. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I might have to look up that up just to see what what the arguments there are actually, because you're not. Well, I mean, as far as I'm aware, you're not really infringing on any IP or anything just by mentioning a brand. But I'm not a lawyer, so yeah. Um. Uh, is there a marketing tactic or channel that you just kill off completely? Like one that you would just, I don't know, either you don't like it as a marketer or you think it's massively overhyped or, or potentially as a consumer? Yeah. So I think retargeting, I, I've mentioned it once already as a, from a marketing point of view, but as a consumer, retargeting when it goes is too frequent uh, or when it goes on for too long or for when you've already bought something. And you're like, why are you retargeting me? I've already bought this. Use use better targeting criteria. Um, but yes, there is um, a a good. I mean, I know co- correlation doesn't equal causation, but there is a good correlation between the rise of the use of retargeting. I think in like the the noughties into the kind of the tens, uh, and the rise of ad blockers. So people were think so fed up for being spammed around the internet by. Um, products that they they'd looked at um, that they downloaded um, ad blockers so I think retargeting has its place but it's it's um, I think a, a privilege not a right to do it uh, and you need to do it um, you need to do it well yeah definitely I, I know what you mean about you know you you leave a website you go to a site that has several ad spots on it and they are all for that one website that you visited and that's all yeah. you see for like a week. Yeah, Sometimes really, really annoying. Um, and it, yeah, I suppose you're right. It's, it's not actually, it's not necessarily the fact that there are adverts there. Um, it's the fact that you're seeing the same advert in every spot for, for such a long period of time. It, that's actually probably what annoys people more. Yeah, I won't go into ad blockers actually, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I could probably go on a bit of a rant about why why they've been necessary, but I won't. I will, um, we'll, we'll, we'll crack on. Um, Fair enough. well but actually that's um that is the end that's that was that was the <laughs> final question um been an absolute Great. pleasure um talking to you um some really really interesting stuff about facebook there um yeah if people wanted to get hold of you how would they do that um so my email is uh james at we co, not dot com uh and the website is we um, or just find me on LinkedIn. It's James Shad S C H A D. But yes, uh, reach out any any way you can. 
Brilliant. Cheers. Lovely. Thanks, Will. Super stuff there from James. Uh, as we heard, Facebook and Instagram gives marketers the opportunity to reach out there and find the audiences that they want to sell to. You know, with PPC, you're, you're relying on people searching for your product or um, some more broad terms around your industry. But And of course, the buying intent there is really strong. But the ability to put you know, beautiful product imagery in front of people who have those relevant interests is incredibly powerful. While you do need to get your targeting right, you don't have to overdo it. You don't have to be too granular. Uh, Facebook's really good at working out who your buyers are, what they look like, and will target them efficiently based off the, the targeting you've put in. But obviously, you can't just go and say, I want everyone in the UK. Uh, Facebook's pretty easy to use as an acquisition marketer, but it's not a guaranteed success. You, know, you do need to get your messaging right, your imagery right. Um, you've got you know, quality imagery works. Um, there is a bit on the targeting as well, but you also need to make sure your website and tracking is set up properly. You know, that's something that comes up again and again on this podcast. Tracking is so important. Um, as with all marketing, if your funnel isn't set up correctly and you don't know what's going on in there, you don't know what's working. You don't know how to properly optimize. That's all for today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to future episodes. And if you've got any questions about Facebook and Instagram advertising, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. In the next episode of the podcast, I'll be speaking with Lauren Mayer of Kickbox. We'll be talking about deliverability, inbox placement, and keeping your email campaigns healthy and effective. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Okay.